So we keep on keeping on. Hey, little humans, I'm Norma Jean, and welcome to Stay Wild, the podcast about how to keep your quirks in the wondrous world. This is episode number 26, and today we're talking to Rex Sumner, who is an author, retired expat here in Bali, snake enthusiast, and supporter of Bali Reptile Rescue. As usual, if you're liking the show, please write us a review on iTunes. You can find the show on Apple Podcast Store, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you are feeling like Bali and some of these stories, some of these journeys have inspired you, come to Camp Clarity. It's pretty much the best week my partner Nicole and I could have come up with. Literally, we were like, how do we have the most fun and give people the most value and help change their lives in Bali? Um, And it's camp, Camp Clarity. So come join us. Our website is www.joincampclarity.com. Check it out, and hopefully we'll see you soon. And until then, enjoy the show. All right, little humans, we're here today with Rex Sumner. Hi, Rex. Hi, Norma Jean. Pleasure to be here today. Rex is an author, retired expat, snake enthusiast, and supporter of Bali Reptile Rescue. I have brought this beautiful little king cobra along. Do you mind if I take her <laughs> he out? Didn't. Oh. He didn't. He didn't. I'm so afraid of snakes. I'm afraid of snakes. You've got no reason to be afraid of snakes, because I tell you what, every single snake in the world thinks you want to eat it. Eat and it? you want to eat the snake so the snake is terrified of you okay all right this is actually how we met rex and i met and he said oh i you know i help out with the with the bali reptile rescue and i said oh oh okay snakes oh no 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 but snakes are really i mean bali has snakes like other countries there's an extraordinarily large number of snakes compared to lizards there's only about 10 species of lizards but there's 40 species of snakes i've no idea why 40 species of snakes. Yeah. The vast majority of them are completely harmless. They can't harm you at all. I've actually allowed some of them to to bite me to see if I can feel any of the venom because they're supposed to have be back fanged. And it's quite difficult for them to get their those fangs into you. And when it was busy trying to pump this venom into me, I could barely feel a thing. Amazing when, how it didn't hurt. When you say back fangs, for all of us at home oh, I'm listening, so sorry. is that like in the back of the throat where it kind of, they point backward, and so they kind of have to get whatever it is in their mouth so far that the back fangs have to... Exactly. Okay. All these snakes have different reason, different ways of getting venom into people. Yeah. The ones that we think about, like rattlesnakes in America, mm-hmm. they have these great hypodermic needles at the very front of their mouth. There are a lot of snakes which have these little, smaller, different types of teeth right at the back mm-hmm. where your molars are, or really where your wisdom teeth mm-hmm. are. And so they've really got to get a grip to get that in there. Mm. And there's an enormous number of things in the world which are venomous, which don't affect us at all. However, coming back to the snakes in Bali, there are six species in Bali which are dangerous to people. Okay. And let's just knock them off the list quickly. Let's knock them off. What are those snakes, Rex? First of all, is there's the sea krite, okay. which is a beautiful snake, which is black and white rings, bands down its body, Yeah. which is fascinated by people. And if you're a diver, they will come up and they will look at you through the mask and wonder who you are. Mm-hmm. And the Australians say that when you see them, you have to hold the lobes of your ears like this because that's the only part of the body that the snake can actually bite, (laughs) because its mouth is so small. But 
Apparently there are records of this snake biting fishermen who've got them caught in their nets. Okay. And it's a very lethal snake, but most people you can pick the snake up and hold it and it will never try and bite you. I'm not recommending you you do that. Yeah. Leave that for idiots like me. Yeah, no, I, I'm not. I'm, that's not on my list. Okay. That's not on my list. That's number one. So that's number one, and I'm saying that to get it out of the way. Because that's in the sea. Yeah, that's pretty. I mean, we're in Ubud. We're a little bit in the mountains. It's a long way from those yeah. snakes. And while we have friends listening down south and all over the world, um, yeah, no, we're not, we're not near the ocean right now. <laughs> what we do have here is a coral snake, which is not like the American coral snake. It's very different. Uh, this is an interesting genus of snakes. It's subterranean. It lives in the ground, and I've never seen one, and I would love to see one, and they're very hard to find. We don't know how dangerous they are, because nobody's ever been bitten. Okay. But it actually possesses a venom gland that's a third of the length of its body, so it's got an enormous amount of venom inside there. Oh, And it has the a, capacity to do the damage to people. That's a lot of capacity, Rex. Huge. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> but it's never, ever bitten anybody, so nobody knows okay. if it's dangerous. It should be, but nobody knows. Okay. Then we have um, the... Spitting cobra. I love spitting cobras. They're all over the fields here. And they are terrified of people. Okay. You have been within uh, 10 feet of them on many occasions, and they've taken one look at you and rushed away so quickly that you never even noticed them. Probably. Hopefully. They're in the rice fields, and they're the farmer's best friend because they eat lots and lots of rats, which otherwise would reduce the... Rice crop. Uh, the rice crop. Yeah. I've heard that Vietnam five years ago had to introduce more snakes into their rice fields because they killed all the snakes and lost the entire rice crop to rats. Okay. The story was 50,000 snakes were released, but I haven't confirmed that. But it's a graphic demonstration of why the farmers need snakes. Yeah, that natural cycle in nature. Exactly. Right? So even though we are afraid of predators like snakes, they're, we're not their main food they can't eat us. They're not, we're not we have them. shoulders. Yeah, Even I a big mean, python can't swallow us because we have shoulders. It's an it irrational fear, but I feel yeah. like it's a common irrational fear. <laughs> it's very common. It's very common. Uh, and I'll, t I'll tell you about a young lady in a moment, but let me move on. The, the cobra that you get here, the ordinary cobra, is the Javanese spitting cobra. Okay. And their defense is to get up and spit venom into the eyes of somebody who is looking. Okay. And then while that person is blinking the venom out of their eyes, the snake can escape. Okay. So that's a very clever uh, defense. So it's a defense mechanism. It's not to... All venom is, is, venom is a healthy cocktail of different enzymes, mainly digestive juices, which is primarily designed to catch food and help do it. And most of it will pre-digest the food before it's swallowed. Okay, so it's not to, it's, I mean, I thought it was to kind of like paralyze the prey and then eat it. It's to kill the prey, but it will also, particularly with vipers, one of the nasty things about a viper bite is it can dissolve the meat in your leg or arm. Okay. Which is what causes, you didn't like that story, did no, you? No, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever want to Google viper bite, you will see some particularly horrific pictures, so don't do it. All right, little humans, for those of you at home, that's a thing to Google, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Just like a free horror movie. And um, so it spits. And the main things, the problems here is for the dogs, because the dogs see the cobra and they come rushing up and they can go faster than the cobra because it's not that fast a snake. So the cobra stops and rears up and spreads its hood to try and frighten them away. That's what the hood is for, to frighten things away, to make mm. it look bigger than it really is. 
And then with the dog presses home the attack, which it won't, until its owner turns up. And then the owner makes the dog feel safe and help and supported. So then the dog goes into attack and the cobra spits in the dog's eyes. And then you have to go and have the eyes flushed out. Okay. I have seen that actually. A couple of a couple of friends posted photos of their dogs on Facebook that had been, yeah yeah that had that cobra and the and the poor dog's eye it's like it's swollen shut and it's just like whoa yeah you will perhaps like what I suggest to people if you're out in the fields and you've had a cobra spit in your eye because you've been trying to catch it because it won't have done anything unless you were trying to catch it. No snake bites anybody unless that person is trying to catch the so they snake. They really need to be provoked. Oh, absolutely. And uh, if one, if you are trying to catch a, a spitting cobra in the middle of nowhere, you need to wash your eye out. The water in the paddy fields, in the rice fields, is filthy. The best thing to use is pee. Urine. Okay. Yeah. All right. And I always have girls give me a funny look when I say this and say, it's all very well for you. You can pee in your own eye. <laughs> But use your hand, pee in your hand and, and, okay. and rinse your hand, uh, rinse this your This is eye a good out. survival tactic. So if you're on a nature walk in Bali and you maybe accidentally step on it, you're not looking, cobra spits at you, it's in your eye, urine. Urine is a wonderful, pure... Yeah, it's a sterile li- bodily sterile fluid. Sterile bottle, yeah. Okay, all right. From my other... Uh, Avatar, as a historical author, I know that in the Middle Ages, in battle, after cutting them, the first aid treatment of the soldiers for their own wounds was to pee on their own wounds to clean all the dirt and rubbish out of it. Okay, yeah, no, I mean, obviously, traditionally, urine has definitely, and, you know, the whole, like, when you've been stung by a jellyfish, it definitely has its... sort of thing. Definitely, okay, so is that, how many have we gotten through? Uh, we've been through three so far. Okay. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Let's now, we've got rid of the main, the, 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 the little three. The little three. Those are the little three. Okay. Well, I say little because they're not dangerous. Okay. Okay. Unless you're a dog. Okay. My lead. Then we come to the one that I consider probably the most dangerous for people, and that is the white-lipped pit viper, which is a gorgeous green snake with a red tail. Okay. And the reason it's dangerous is because, unlike other snakes, it doesn't run away from you. It pretends to be a leaf. Oh. And it's so good at being a leaf that you can walk right past it without noticing it. And the snake then panics and goes, oh, because you were so close. Okay. And every time it rains, they get washed out from beside the banks of the rivers, and they try to escape from the water, and they come up. Who always builds beside a river in Bali? Not the Balinese, no. but the tourists in their villas. Yeah, tourists and expats, villas, right right near the water. Everyone wants that water view, whether it's a river or the ocean or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so these vipers come up there and sit in people's gardens. And the bar- gardeners often get bitten, which is not the end of the world, because a viper bite will not kill an adult person, but it hurts like hell. And as I said earlier, it starts to dissolve the flesh and right. one of the big problems is it can eat the nerves which don't grow back. Right, right. What's the recovery time for something like About that? About a week. Okay. Not, you a, can go not a world ender. You can go and get a serum for it, get an injection which speeds it up terrifically. An anti-venom. An anti-venom. And a serum which is made in Bandung and works pretty well against them. Okay. And for all of you guys listening at home, Bandung is a city in Java, which is the next island over. 
about a thousand kilometres away. Yeah. Uh, one of my colleagues in Bali Reptile Rescue uh, has no use. Well, he can't feel anything in one of his fingers because uh, he made a mistake when he was catching one of these a couple of years ago. He got the injection. Why did he make a mistake, you ask? Beer. Oh, right. <laughs> Alcohol and snakes really doesn't mix. Don't, don't drink and, and handle snakes. Venomous Absolutely. reptiles. Yeah? No, I, I definitely... That's a good warning. Okay, so that's the... Okay, so that was number four. Number five... <coughs> excuse me. Is the krite. And we have two species of krite in Bali. And there is no serum that works for them. We, this is a particularly difficult snake because it should be black and white bands and rings. Unfortunately, being Bali, they have got lots of different morphs and you have different colours. You have a completely black one, you know, there's a brown one, there's supposed to be a blue one, which I've never seen. And there is the black and white one and a black and yellow one. So it's very hard to identify. Mm. The main way to tell it is it's got a very tiny head mm. and it is, the skin is very shiny. If you shine a torch on it, it reflects. Okay. The good news about this snake is that it comes out at night. Okay. Usually after 10 p.m. and it's in bed and tucked up and asleep by five in the morning. So unless you're wandering drunk through the paddy fields at two o'clock in the morning, you're very unlikely to see one. You know, that's not been not known to happen here. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, that's, that's another um, go. And bring a flashlight. A flashlight is right. the important thing, but what I would say about the krite is that one thing about it is, unlike all the other snakes, it knows it's powerful. It's not scared of you. Okay. It doesn't run away. It doesn't care about you. It's not bothered. It will just go on doing what it's doing. Because it's just it's living its life. Living its life. It eats other snakes. Oh, it's a snake eater. Yeah. It's a snake snake eater. Yes. Okay. So it's looking for other snakes to eat. You're the wrong shape. You're too big, not interesting, but it's not scared of you. Okay. So just stand back to one side and watch and thank Mother Nature for letting you see this beautiful creature slithering past you. And it won't go fast. It will just go past. And if it looks as if it wants to go where you stand, just step to one side and it will go. And you'll see it's very shiny. Okay. Whatever you do, do not attempt to pick it up. Well, I, I, okay, don't pick up snakes, guys. Full stop. Full stop. Yeah. The serum, the anti-venom for this snake does not work. Okay. We don't have anything for it. And it's not quite... When people talk about the one-step dead snake, they're talking about something like the krite. But it's, of course, all, as always, an exaggeration. But you could be dead in an hour or two hours. Okay, like Black Mamba style. Oh, it's probably more venomous than a black mamba. Okay. And you've been within feet of them here in Ubud and never noticed, because they don't give them monkeys about you. Okay. See, wasn't I good there using a polite word? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's number five. Number six is my favourite. Last but not least. Now, just imagine you're walking through the forest, and all of a sudden there's a rustle, and something shoots out of the ground like a jack-in-a-box, up to two metres in the air, and you've got a massive head with a hood staring at you very fast. And out of it comes a hiss. But it's not an ophidian snake's... No, this is a growl. 
like an angry tiger which hits something deep and primal inside you and frightens the hell out of you. Yeah. It is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. This is the king cobra. Okay. The biggest that we have seen here is over six meters long. Okay, so six In, meters, that's, that's 18 feet, maybe? More, okay. pushing 20 feet long. That is a big snake. That's a big snake. And they just emanate power. Uh, not evil, just a strength and, and power. It's not, not, a, not in the slightest bit evil. It's a very magnificent, powerful creature. Now, just imagine, with this combination of suddenness, appearance, big appearance, height off the ground, and this primal, terrifying growl of a hiss. This terrifies everything. Well, yeah. I'm terrified hearing about it, Rex. <laughs> Elephants go running. Tigers go running. Everything runs from the King Cobra. Okay. It is truly the king of the jungle. Okay. It's not just me. Everything runs from this Everything. Thing. Even me. And I see them and catch the things. I'm scared yeah. out of my whatever. Yeah. Scared out of when your When one of these things, because you're not expecting it, and bang, it's suddenly there. And when something is off the ground and looking you in the eyes, okay, most of them are out looking at you in the knees, but they can get up to look you in your eyes. It has happened. Yeah. They are huge. Right. They are very scary. And you know what the consequence of that is? No. Nobody has ever been bitten by one that wasn't trying to catch it. Oh. Because everybody runs away. Well, I, I would run away. Exactly. This I is would, the power of the snake. I would run so fast. <laughs> is it doesn't need Just to bite anybody. all the way. Yeah. It makes everybody scared, terrified of it. Yeah. I would and so that run. snake's happy. So I would run a marathon away. They I'm, don't and chase I'm not people. a runner. It no. was just, okay. Okay, all right. So they, it's really more of shock value. Absolutely. But the venom is, okay, you're Very done. Very thin. You're done. My, um, the founder of Bali Reptile Rescue was a wonderful man called Eddie. He had been catching these snakes for 16 years, mm -hmm. looking after them, removing them from farmers' places. And he was bitten by them three times. Each time when he caught one, what you do is you distract it with your left hand, and then he would use his right hand while it's looking at his left hand to grab it from behind the neck. Back of the neck, yeah. Okay. Which is quite difficult when the back of the neck's a hood. Yeah. A powerful one. And on each occasion, he was perhaps a fraction too low, and the snake managed to twist its head just enough to graze him with one fang. Graze him with one fang. Twice he managed to get to the hospital in time to get um, serum within, within the hour. The third time he got to the hospital for the serum and they'd run out. It took them over an hour in a traffic jam to get to the next hospital, by which time it was too late. And Eddie's not with us anymore. But his brother, Ray, and his family still work with Valley Reptile Rescue and do a wonderful job in preserving these animals. Mm. They know it's not the cobra's fault and they carry on Eddie's work in looking after it. Yeah, absolutely. And how long have you been working with Bali Reptile Rescue? Um, I've, I've been, over the last year, I've got to know them because people have asked me to come and take snakes out of their houses because mm. these snakes come into our houses and they get confused and we have to remove them. Yeah, because in Bali, like, you know, we're here at, in my cottage in the rice fields. So outside, 
you know, outside the walls of my beautiful garden, it's it's rice fields. Absolutely. Yeah. I could go around your house at night and show you half a dozen snakes that you didn't know were here. Let's not do that, Rex. Know that, did you? <laughs> let's, not, let's not do that. Let's not do that, Rex. No. Um, so, people were asking me to come and take away their snakes, and I was taking their snakes away and releasing them. But then I had venomous snakes, and I wasn't quite sure what to do with them. And I some some of them Ron Lilly wanted, but Ron Lilly isn't always here. Yeah, and, and Ron so, Lilly is. He's another snake expert who lives about an hour away. Okay. He's a very very good herpetologist. He knows what he's talking about. A lot of respect for Ron Lilly. And Bali Reptile Rescue is in Denpasar. Mm -hmm. So Denpasar is pretty much the capital of Bali for all you guys at home. It's kind of industrial, but it's where a lot of um, commerce and um, bureaucracy, like a lot of government offices are. Absolutely. Uh, and she's on the south side of that near Kuta, Seminyak, and Legian, which is where all the, the holiday beach. makers yeah. who are n not interested in Balinese life but want a nice beach when bar times and party times. It's, it's a pretty commercial tourism area, yeah, down Absolutely. south. But it's on the beach. And so it's looked after by a lady called uh, Shinta Sukmawati, who's actually a Dayak from Borneo. And uh, so she would come up and take snakes away from me to release them. Where does she release them? Uh, anywhere where there aren't people. Okay. And she goes into places like that on a fairly regular basis. Okay. Come back to me about that in a moment. I'll tell you some more. But So I was giving her more and more snakes to release. And then I started accompanying her on some of her tours because she does tours. To, for tourists, they can go out with her at night and spend four hours finding snakes. And because I knew where some of them were in Ubud when like, she had like people in Like for fun? Ubud. No, they pay her. Like for fun, that people are doing this? Great. Well, of course <laughs> like, it's for fun. Like a recreational activity. Okay, great. Recreational, <laughs> it's a fascinating activity. Okay, there's a Bali snake tour, guys. You learn something Absolutely. every day. I love it. Okay. We do a night tour and we go out and, and show people. And she asked me to find some snakes. Like a I, snake safari. A snake safari, A yeah. snake safari. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. And that's also usually an opportunity to release snakes as well. Okay. And usually when we go on a snake safari around Ubud, you will see seven or eight different species of snakes. Wow. The vast majority of which will be completely harmless. Right. And you can tell that because we reach up and grab, pull them off the tree and say, look, isn't this beautiful? Okay. And the ones that we don't reach up and pull it off the tree, we say, look at that beautiful snake. Then you know it's venomous. <laughs> yeah. Don't, look, we're not touching it. Take a photo. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, we do take the venomous ones down. And what we do, we might hold it by the tail, but we'll use a snake hook to make sure that the head, which is the dangerous part, yeah. can't come anywhere near anybody. Yeah. Then we can put it in a suitable position for a nice photo. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow, there's a, there's a Bali snake tour. So about a year ago. So how did you get interested in snakes and uh, want to help people remove them from their homes? I can't remember that far, uh, that far away. Mm. I've always had snakes around and my kids were growing up. I had burr constrictors in England and reptiles and my youngest son was actually breeding poison dart frogs uh, in England. And um, my mother tells a story about my first birthday, which was in Samarang in Java, because I was actually born in Java. And so you're British, but your parents were living here? My, uh, my father worked for British American Tobacco and was a tobacco buyer in Java. And so we lived here back in the, in the 50s. And at my first birthday, apparently, there were lots of kids who would all have been Dutch and Indonesian. I was the only, we were the only English family in the area. 
and uh, we had travelling circuses in those days, which would consist of a couple of men with bicycles and baskets over the bicycle, and they would be surrounded by a troop of monkeys and dogs. Okay. And these people came in for the party, and they opened one basket and took out some hoops, and the monkey held the hoop, and the dogs jumped through it, and all the kids said, mm, wonderful. Yeah. And then they opened another basket and took out an enormous python, with no warning. And yep. all the kids ran, ran away, except for me, and apparently I ran straight to the snake. <laughs> and was completely wrapped up in python within a moment, with only my head sticking out the top and a big grin on my face. That okay. was my mother's story, I don't remember this. Amazing, amazing. So it's always been one of those things that you've been drawn to. Yes, I, I find them uh, very beautiful and very fascinating, but I'm fascinated by behaviour of animals and how they work. I'm fascinated by the behaviour of, of all animals, from dogs and cats to lizards and snakes. I find here we have the Tokai gecko, which actually lives in family groups and they live as a pair and they look after their eggs and they guard the babies once they hatch and you see them with the babies getting up to quite a size, staying with mum and dad for protection. These things even have a midden. You know what a midden is? A midden is basically an animal lavatory where they always go for a poo. Oh, same place every time. Same place every yeah. time. Yeah, no, there's a Toki in my house. So for those of you at home, Tokis are like, they're they're like geckos that are supersized. Huge. Yeah, they're huge. There's loads in they're Florida maybe, where they've escaped pets. Okay, they're maybe, what, like 12 inches? And a bit more. Yeah, yeah, they're quite large. Big, chunky, heavy things. And they're very shy. They're terribly, terribly shy. Even when you look at them, they, they move away. And there's one in my house, actually, that poos in the same place <laughs> every time. Every time. Middle of my floor. <laughs> this is not reptilian behavior. It's higher mammalian behavior. It is. And I think that's fascinating. And it's like the king cobras at this time of year. Back in August and September, they breed. And people talk about the cobra dance. It's actually two males fighting for dominance and seeing who can go highest. And whoever can go highest pushes the other one down. Okay. Then when they have mated, the next month... The female makes a nest. This is the only snake to make a nest. And she makes a pile of leaves, bamboo leaves, with her tail. She puts a chamber, three chambers inside. And she then sits on top of this nest for 72 days, only leaving it to get water. Wow. This is the only time she's visible to the local people. Because the males have a range, will range over 40 kilometres, well, that's 30 miles. Yeah, that's quite a long... That's big range. That's big territory. They're never seen by anybody because they keep out of the way. It may be the king of the jungle, it may be big, powerful, but there's this six-metre one that we know of in Gumbri, which is only seen once or twice a year by masses of people. We get the reports. Wow. So they're not seen, except when she's sitting on the nest. Okay. And you posted a photo of this a while back. Yes, I've got quite a few uh, photos of it up there. Yeah. I can give you some if you can send yeah, them Yeah, we'll put them people. in the show yeah. notes, absolutely. And when she sits on the nest, she's visible, so the locals see her. Yeah. And when they see her, what do you think they do? Kill the snake. How? They go and get a gun. Oh. And shoot her from a distance. And what does she do when she sees them come? She rears up and threatens them, because it makes people run away. But today it makes her a target. Yeah. My latest photo that I put up showed one with the hood part shot away. Mm. And we do catch these snakes and we have to treat them for not just for parasites, but for wounds. Maybe they've been hit on the back of the head with a club. We sometimes find bullets stuck in their bodies. While they're alive. While they're alive. They've survived. Gunshot victims. Yeah. Okay, wow. So for 72 days, 
poor little mum is faithfully guarding her eggs and she's shot at by people who are understandably terrified of her because she uses yeah. terror to frighten them away. Yeah. I've actually asked them, I said, please, if you leave the nest there, I'll bring people on photographic tours to see her every day and we'll give you money every day. Yeah. And what do they say? No. We can't get anybody to work in the fields as long as we know that this nest is here. If you don't remove this snake and this nest, we will kill it. Okay. So it's not the ideal solution because we suspect that the survival ra rates of released snakes is not high. But she's got a chance. Yeah. If we don't go and take that snake, she's dead. Yeah. So what we do is we go and catch, catch the snake from the nest. We remove the eggs and we incubate them. We, we release mum in a nice suitable place for her and we hatch the eggs. We find something interesting about the eggs, which again is evolution in action. And this is the sort of thing which I think is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. The eggs tend to be laid in three chunks. Yep. Bottom, middle, top. Okay. Two of the eggs from the middle will be hatch babies 20 to 25% bigger than the rest of the clutch. Okay. Now, this, what I'm about to suggest now, is purely my hypothesis. Yeah, no, let's hear it, okay. Rex. And that is that the eggs on the top, mum will leave about a few days before the eggs hatch. Oh, so those are the snack for someone who, like a predator. Well done. Those are a exactly. predator, dis like, distraction snack. A monitor lizard. The yeah. monitor lizards will come down the top and eat the first ones. Okay. Then the middle ones, all the eggs will hatch at about the same time and two are bigger than the others. Yeah. And for a week, they'll live off the yolk of the egg. Yeah. And they won't bite anybody. You can pick them up and play with them. They won't do anything. Okay. After a week, they will shed for the first time. As soon as they shed for the first time, they're hungry and they're venomous and they'll bite. And what do the two big ones do? Eat the little ones. Exactly. Okay. So it seems to be an evolutionary strategy. As you Survival know... Survival of the fittest. Look at the codfish. A codfish, mum will have a million eggs, a million babies, because she knows not many will survive. Then switch to us. We tend to have one. Occasionally yeah. we might have twins or whatever, but yeah. it's one because we're concentrating all the resources into one. Yeah. This is higher mammalian behaviour. Yeah. And I think that we're seeing a snake which is slowly evolving up to putting the resources into just two babies because mm -hmm. the others are food for those two or bait for predators. Oh, interesting. Just a hypothesis. No, Completely I love unprovable. It. I love it. But it's it. interesting, isn't it? I love it? it. Yeah. So when people encounter a snake and they call you or they call Bali Reptile, Reptile Rescue. Rescue. Or indeed Ron Lilly. Or Ron Lilly, or a snake expert, yeah. right? Because I mean, because you have them all over the world. Yeah, and coming to Bali, you know, people always ask me, "Oh my gosh, you live in Bali? You're in the middle of the rice fields? Do you encounter snakes?" And I say, "Yes, sometimes." And then they say, "Well, what do you do?" And I say, "Run away." <laughs> <laughs> you know, as you do. <laughs> you know, I think sometimes you can kind of just tell the snake to go away, and they do, which you know they're kind of scared of you or whatever. But. Um, it's interesting because I think that a lot of people um, have that fear, you know, just thinking, okay, I'm coming to an island and the island has snakes and all that. And um, I mean, you guys must get calls all the time. We do. We get a lot of calls. 
And the majority of the time, we want to know where the snake is mm. and a photograph. Okay. Oh, a photo. This is good. I was going to say, how do you know which snake? A photo, obviously. Exactly. We're, we're in the modern world here. <laughs> Except that most of the photographs, there's this blurred thing in the <laughs> tiny corner of the photo. Right. Fight or flight, snap yeah. the photo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. That's pretty much, yeah, <laughs> how I would do it. 80% of the time, the snake's gone before we can get there. Yeah, that's generally what happens for me as well. Uh, a lot of the time as well, we can say that's a rat snake, that's a bronze back, it's completely harmless, don't worry about it. Okay. I always come for the uh, pit vipers. Okay. And I'd always come for a krite or a cobra. Okay. If it's venomous, I'll come. I'll usually come for a rat snake because the rat snake is a big snake. It can go up to two and a half meters. Okay. And it's a nasty bad-tempered snake. And does it, is it venomous? No, it's not venomous, but it gives you a nasty bite, which isn't very pleasant. That, that's unpleasant, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's very common, very useful for getting rid of rats, but they're just not very nice snakes. Yeah, that's unpleasant, Rex. And you can always tell them apart from a cobra, because when you pick one up, it, its skin is hard and cold with big scales, but when you pick up a cobra, it's warm and small scales with a beautiful feeling that you just want to stroke. Okay. So if you see a snake and you're not sure what it is, just pick it up and you can tell from the field. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> As you can tell, I do like to tease a little bit. And sometimes people say to me, how do you catch a snake? I say, well, I put on my Balinese ceremonial dress <laughs> and I go down there and um, I sit down in front of the snake. And I put the flowers out and I sprinkle sacred water over the area and I say a prayer to the higher entities. And then I cleanse the area, making sure all the spirits are in the right place. Yeah. And then, when everything is in the correct order, I speak to the snake in snake language and ask it to get into the bag, and it does. Oh, like in Harry Potter. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, the amazing thing is that the number of people who I tell this to who actually believe me... <laughs> 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 Guys, I'm actually like specially gifted. It's interesting, you know, I think there's a lot of people I've spoken to that have, you know, proclivities or gifts, but a lot of them is, a lot of it kind of boils down to, I'm really drawn to this, so I'm going to put in the extra effort to learn about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I had, um, I remember many years ago, uh, my son, who's now 26, was busy at home where we lived in the countryside in England. He would go out and catch snakes mm. and he came back one day and we said where have you been he said catching grass snakes which is an inoffensive snake and we said very nice did you catch any said, only 12 <laughs> five six year old you know you never see more than no. two grass snakes and he'd gone off and found 12 poor little things so where we lived at the time there was called, was a place called netherfield in england which is a corruption of the old english word meaning adderfield and the adder is the venomous snake of england oh yeah okay so I thought, if he's going to go out and do this, he's going to start catching adders. So I need, maybe he's five years old, but I need to teach him yeah. how to tell the difference between an adder and a grass snake. Yeah. So I took him up into the hills and we found an adder and I caught the adder and I opened its mouth and I showed him the fangs and I explained that it would hurt a lot. And I was a bit concerned whether he understood or not, but I was, thought I had done a very clear job and treated him like a mature yeah. individual, yeah, which yeah. is what we did with our kids. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, I underestimated him. Okay. Because what he got from the lesson was, one, how to catch adders. <laughs> two, 
not to tell Dad because he might get into trouble. <laughs> so he would then proceed to go out and catch adders right, left and centre. OK. And he also went and watched his hero Steve Irwin on the television, so learnt new ways of catching snakes. Yeah, yeah. I think Steve Irwin was a big... Uh big inspiration for quite a lot of people that were drawn to nature as well. We are out in the rice fields, so for those of you listening at home, there are dogs barking, motorbikes, all those kind of things, and I think it just brings you here with us to Bali in my beautiful garden. So he went out and started catching adders. Yes, and he actually caught one and brought it back and put it in the neighbor's garden where it stayed there, and he would go and catch it every day and play with it when mum and dad weren't around. Oh, as you do. As you do. And then one day he decided, he was six by this time, to take the snake for a walk. On a leash? On a leash. Okay. And the snake didn't want to get on the leash. I put this story together later. And so it hid its head under the coils. Yeah. So he couldn't get the bit of string around its head. Yeah. And he shoved his fingers in trying to get it out so he could put it in. It bit him. Okay. So. And that's a poisonous snake. This is a venomous snake. And we actually took him to hospital, and the problem in the UK was that 20 years previously, somebody had died of, the, of anaphylactic shock from the serum. So the doctors, having no experience and no idea how to treat snake bite, didn't do anything. And 18 hours later, one of the doctors put a sheaf of papers into my hand and said, what do you think? And I looked at this, and it was 18 pages from the uh, Royal College of poisons right in london right on what to do exactly what to do in the event of snake bite and i'm reading through this and i get to page two and it said uh having explained about the anaphylactic shock it said despite this if the swelling goes past the first major joint you must give the the serum straight away well he'd been bitten on the finger yeah the swelling was past the wrist which i think is the first major joint yeah past the elbow okay and past the shoulder Oh, my gosh. Okay. So I turned to this poor little man, poor little doctor, and I said in my best Santos trained officer voice, yeah. give him the serum now. Yeah. This man jumped up and rushed off. Right. Parent slash authority voice. Yeah. Yeah. Came rushing back with the serum, gave it to me, if you please, while he grabbed the heart starters, the electrical things, because he was still terrified that Lionel was going to go into an anaphylactic shock. Oh, my gosh. So I had to give him the serum yeah. while the doctor sat there sweating holding the electrical <laughs> thing, convinced that he was about to die from the serum. Oh, my gosh. And he was okay? Uh, after that, he was fine. Totally fine. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I haven't been drawn to snakes, but I, I, I think... I have to say, the first thing yeah. Lionel had to do was go back home and check that his pet, pet snake, pet adder, was okay. Of course. Of yes. course. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's one of those things where when you really love... Um, you know, whether it's snakes or horses or anything really um, working with animals in the natural world, you realize that that's their nature, right? Absolutely. Yeah. With virtually every animal there is, if you think about it through, you can see what it's going to do. You can have a very good idea of what it's do. Because all animals are pretty much the same. They are mainly, primarily interested in food. Yeah, self-preservation. They will not take a risk. If you look at it, what kills most lions in Africa, and actually it's the lionesses because they do all the hunting, it's the food animals. Because one nick of a horn in the lioness's skin causes an infection which kills her. No, tell me, you look around there, have you seen any hospitals or doctors for animals? 
No, there's no vet clinic. There's there's a couple here, but they're usually for expat dogs. Anywhere, and cats, exactly. Yeah. They're for tame animals. Wild yeah. animals with an injury can't go into them. Yeah. If a wild animal gets an injury, it's dead. Yeah. In the vast majority of cases. Yeah, it's the end of the road. Yeah. It's the end of the road. With some of the king cobras, it's obviously different. Yeah. Uh, and we don't know how many die of infection and how many survive. But most, and maybe a bullet is a little bit cleaner than the claws of something else or the bite. Yeah, absolutely. So, so w- when people are bitten generally, what's the protocol? I mean... Uh, first protocol is do not do any of the things that you've been told to in the past. And what are those things? Cut it, suck it. Okay. Anything right. like that. Don't try to suck the venom out? No. Okay. You could very quickly wash it with pee on it, is what I always say is the best okay, thing to do. Yeah. But not all the experts agree with me. Okay. But I still think it's a good thing to do and, and rinse it off. Okay. Then you need a pressure bandage. Okay. And you apply the pressure bandage over the area with a stick inside it. Okay. So that later you can tighten it with a stick. You must not apply a tourniquet. No tourniquet. No tourniquet. Okay. It's a pressure bandage, and the reason is venom travels through the lymph. Okay, so it doesn't travel through your bloodstream. No, through the lymph. It travels through your lymph. What causes the lymph to move? Movement movement. of your limb. Yeah, okay. So the first thing to do is to apply a pressure bandage, and the second thing to do is not move it. Okay. Now, venom in the body is in a race. Okay, and pressure bandage... For those of us at home listening, pressure bandage is like an ace bandage. You wrap it around. I have no idea what an ace so bandage it's is. Like a, it's like a... It's a length of, length of cloth. Yeah, yeah, length of cloth, and you kind of... You make Nuclear sure elastic. that it's... Yeah, okay. So it's like pressure socks when you fly. Really exactly. to Okay. Really to keep the the fluid... Exactly. ...non-moving. Exactly. Okay, okay. You, the pressure socks for flying is the spot-on description. Okay. A lot of people playing sport will apply a pressure... Yeah. Bandage to keep things from going wrong. Okay, got it. Uh, the other thing is to stay still and don't panic. Don't do anything to raise the blood pressure. Okay. Don't do anything to raise the heart rate. Yeah. Just relax and smile. Yeah. Don't panic. Don't panic. The body is perfectly capable of breaking down and dissolving the venom that's been injected into you by the bite. However, Depending on the quantity that has come into you, yeah, it's a race. Can that venom get to your crucial areas of your body, which is basically the lungs and the heart? And the heart. Yeah. Because a lot of them paralyse the nerves and stop the nerves working. So if the nerves in your heart stop working, guess what? Yeah, well, yeah. So it's a race between can your body break down the neurotoxins before they get to the heart? Okay. Yeah. And... Uh, Serum is made by the simple process of injecting a horse with venom and keep on injecting the horse with venom as it becomes develops immunity. Okay. And then taking extracting the horse's blood. Okay. And removing the antibodies. It's from made serum. from horses. Yeah. Snake antivenom. Yeah. Is made from horses. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so we've got don't panic. Don't raise your blood pressure. Don't try to suck out the venom. Do put on a compression garment. Any other tips? Don't move the affected area. Don't move the affected area. That was also in there, yeah. Relax. 
You shouldn't be trying to move too much. You would really like to be carried, if possible, put in a car, taken to hospital. Okay. Don't worry about identifying the snake, okay, because people can tell in the hospital what the snake bite, what the snake was. How Certainly can they in tell? America. From the symptoms, from the punctures, from the blood. Okay. The DNA. They can do a DNA analysis of the, of the Real bite quick. Area. Real quick, in America. In the U.S. Okay, so for those of or you listening Australia. in the U.S. or in Australia, okay, so you definitely have a little, a little, a few more resources there. Yeah, here in Bali, if I get bitten, I'm more likely to just check my will. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's a death sentence here. Okay. Which is, but I repeat again, people only get bitten when they're trying to catch the snake. Yeah. Or they, in other words, another manner, Harm it. I mean, you do hear about the occasional farmer who didn't see the snake. I was walking with my wife to go and see a performance in the local temple a couple of months ago, and it was just turned dark, and something tapped my leg. And I looked down, and I'd trodden and then got off the tail of a rather large cobra. And when I trod on its tail, it didn't try and bite me. It hit me with its head. Like, hey, buddy, get off hey, my tail. Exactly. Okay. And it's really rather panicking and trying to get away. Yeah. It's not interested in biting, because the other thing you need to appreciate with these snakes, the venom is a resource, a really powerful resource, without which they cannot eat. Does it take a long time to, yes. to get that back once they yes. use it? Okay. How long does that usually take? A few days, maybe a week. Wow, okay. So really, it's affecting their survival. Precisely. Okay. It's got to be a maximum risk before they will actually bite. Wow. Okay. It's okay. very hard to get a snake to bite, which is why you get a lot of what we call dry bites. Dry bites. A dry bite is when you get bitten by a venomous snake and no venom is injected. Okay. And that's quite, that's quite common. Nine out of ten bites by a venomous snake's dry bites. Okay. Which is why in India, nine out of ten traditional snake bite healers are successful. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to take a short break and then we'll come back and, and talk to Rex again about snakes in Bali. Today's show is brought to you by me, Norma Jean. I'm hosting my very first retreat with one of my best friends, Nicole, here in Bali, and we want you to come. It's pretty much the best week we could have come up with. We're so excited about it, and it's called Camp Clarity. It's all the fun of Bali, authentic Balinese experiences, and deep work for women. We're going to delve into rewriting our stories, how to get the most value out of our lives, and so much more. It's in an incredible luxury villa. We can't wait. Check it all out at join campclarity.com that's www.joincampclarity.com All right, little humans, we're back with Rex Sumner, author, retired expat, snake enthusiast and supporter of Bali Reptile Rescue. There's a little bit of sound in the background because the farmers outside my cottage are harvesting rice. <laughs> it's wonderful that you don't seem to have them very Balinese because there are some men involved. <laughs> that's true. Traditionally, that's uh, the women predominantly do the harvest. Um, so, Rex, before the break, we were talking about what to do if you get bitten by a snake. Yes. Now, what should you do if you see a snake and it's like in your house or you're feeling threatened? 
first thing you need to do is sit down and breathe. Okay. What and if it's coming towards you? What if it's coming towards you? Then you move out of the way. Okay. Uh, then get your phone or your camera and take its picture. Okay. Don't get too close. Bear in mind the snake is scared. Okay. It's in an unusual area. It's frightened. Yeah. A frightened animal of any sort will snap. Okay. So you don't want to get too close to it. Yep. You don't need to do it. You can simply go and open the doors yeah. and get a broom. A broom. A broom. As simple as that. Now, it's not to fly away, mm. uh, pretending to be a witch. No, you just hold the broom and the snake is not going to get past the broom to you. Okay. And then you can just hold that and get behind the snake so you're ushering it towards the door okay. and it will go out of the door. Okay. It will go into the first dark crevice or cranny that it sees to get away from this horrible, scary predator, which is you. And the broom. The broom and the predator. Broom. Okay. But you're more scary. The Probably. broom might be closer. Okay, so if it does crawl into a dark crevice, that's when you call in the experts. That's probably when it's got underneath a cupboard. Okay, right. And sometimes they're in the bathroom, and they, they're often in the bathroom and can't get out. Okay. Then you take the photo, you contact me, Bali Reptile Rescue, Ron Lilly, and we'll come and take it away. Okay. And we will release it where it's safe and it's looked after. Well, it's, it's in the wild. Back into the wild, re-released into its natural habitat. Now, for those little humans listening in the West, if you're in America, Australia, England, what do you do when if you see a snake? Um, you very much the same thing. Okay. Yeah, allow it to go its way. The, the there were some herpetologists did a study about 20 years ago on the rattlesnake in America, mm-hmm. and they wanted to do some records of how of the speed of the strike. Mm. They found something in the order of 970 rattlesnakes during the period of the study, and the vast majority, like 95% of them, rattled beautifully for the camera and the recording. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get any of them to strike. Okay. Rather than strike, they ran away. Okay. It's very hard to get a snake to bite you. If you've successfully been bitten by a snake, well done. That was awesome. <laughs> All right. So it is very unlikely. Very unlikely. Okay. So it's more really about our fear. It's about your fear. It's about our fear. We took a Belgian girl with us who wanted to come to watch us catch king cobras Yeah. because she was terrified of snakes. And during the course of the day, we caught various snakes. One of the first snakes we caught was a cat snake which here in Bali they're quite common it's a big impressive snake and they're incredibly docile you can pick a wild one up and immediately it doesn't try and bite you it just crawls over you and so she watches this in some horror from amazement and the this was a male snake which it proved by extruding two penises because snakes have two penises oh right good to know and the fascination of why this snake had two penises was enough. <laughs> for her to forget that she was afraid. Exactly. Okay, interesting. Uh, why do snakes have two penises, Rex? Well, some of them have four. Okay. It's actually one penis which is bifurcated. Okay. Um, and the reason they have two like is... Like a snake tongue, also. Yes. Okay. It's, it depends on which side it comes up to the female for mating. It okay. can come from either side. Oh, it's like having the gas tank on either side of your car. Exactly. Okay. Well, that makes sense. As girls have two, why can't guys? 
two fallopian tubes. Uh, yeah, okay. And one yeah. for each. No, it makes sense. There's actually a way of sexing snakes, is that a snake is basically a tube with everything coming down, and it all comes out at a snail where the, there is a pelvis in snakes. Snakes have pelvis. You may not be able to see it. Yeah. That's where the tail starts. And one of the places you can recognize it is because it has one scale right across the belly, and that is the cloaca, the entrance or the exit from the tube coming down the body. Okay. And you can sex a snake by taking it and using your thumb and rubbing it over this, and if it's a male, two penises will pop out. Oh, right. I have to say... I don't do that very often. One, I think it's fairly uh, a bit of an indignity for the snake. And two, I'm not a very good snake wanker. <laughs> no, no, but you do know quite a bit about snakes. You're writing a book, is that right? That's right. To help support Bali Reptile Rescue, I'm writing The Kings of Bali. The Kings of Bali. And I also want to call it The Kings of Bali and the Headhunter's Daughter. Okay. Because Shinta is a Dayak and they were the headhunters just 60 years ago. They were, yes. So Dayaks, for those of you at home listening, um, they're a traditional tribe from Kalimantan, which is Indonesian Borneo. Yep. And uh, they have a a few beautiful traditions, dancing and amazing costumes, beautiful colors, but they are also known uh, for headhunting. Heads were currency. Heads were currency. That's what you paid for everything. A wife was two heads. Oh. I actually asked her, I said, is, um, depending on who the head is from, does it does vary Does it make the a value? difference? And she said, yes. Oh. Uh, I think that the highest value were the Ibans, who were the most fearsome tribe of Dayaks. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, interesting. So you're writing this book about snakes, and it's about the snakes in Bali. It's specifically about the king cobras. Okay. And the work of Bali Reptile Rescue. Okay. And everybody tries to do a snake book and they make these glossy photos of pictures so that people can identify the snakes. And everybody mm. wants to write a handbook. I don't want to write a handbook. Okay. I write stories. I make stories that people are interested in, which people want to read, which are fun to read. So I want to do a, the story of Bali Reptile Rescue and the discovery of King Cobras in Bali. Because although the Balinese knew there were King Cobras here, mm. up until the 1990s, I think, all the world experts said there were no king cobras in Bali because really? somebody in 1950 couldn't find any. Oh, right, okay. But they're all over the place. But, you know, three years ago, we found, or not, I see, we, Bali Reptile Rescue, found more than 30 nests in one season. Last year, they got six. This year, we've already got six. Okay. So the numbers, I'm worried about the numbers because people are increasing and they're killing the snakes. Yeah. One village where we've rescued um, three snakes, they've killed over a hundred cobras. Okay. Another village where we've rescued two, they've also killed a hundred cobras. So the percentages aren't good, and they're yeah. not stacking up. And that's why I want to write the book. So people can understand it, so they know more about the work of Bali Reptile Rescue. Yeah, for the preservation. In order to conserve animals, the only way we can conserve them is if the local people are involved, and the local people are making money out of it. Yeah. At the moment, the cobras are costing them money because they can't work, because they're scared of the cobra. And unfortunately, one of them killed a cow the other day, which is worth 22 million rupiah, which is about less than $200, $2,000. $2, yes, uh, maybe about $1,800 US yeah. for a which cow. doesn't help the local no. attitude towards the cobras. Stupid bloody cow. <laughs> so, so for those of you at home listening, Bali is a Hindu island. And the Balinese Hindus don't eat beef, and cows are revered. 
Um, mm. A little bit different than India, but they definitely are held higher um, than other livestock. Yes. And not eaten. Absolutely. So you, you're writing this book, which is very exciting, and you've also written some other books as well. Yes, I like to write historical fantasy. I originally wrote them to entertain my kids, and then I realized, oh, these are actually quite good, and they might be worth publishing, so I started to publish them. And I looked at Game of Thrones, which is lots of fun. I thought, well, that's based on the English War of the Roses. Yeah. So let's try and base something on something different. So I decided to base it on what I know, which is Culture Clash yeah. and the Far East. And so I started to write a series based on the British conquest of India, mm. but in a fantasy world. Mm. And so I love taking little snippets from history yeah. and slipping them in. But I'm naughty. I don't necessarily do them at the same period of time. It can be 500 years out of date that I'm putting it in there. Yeah, but it's a you good mix story. it up. It, it is. It, up. it is. And but wonder what's the first of your books called? Mistress of the King. Mistress of the King. Which is interesting. It's about a little girl who reveres the Queen. She thinks it's wonderful and she really would love to be Queen one day, having no idea what a Queen involves because she's a tailor's daughter. Mm. But her desire to see the Queen causes the Queen actually to bring her in to stay with her and have a holiday with her. And the Queen has a great time because she hasn't got any kids at this stage, so she's borrowed a daughter and she's having fun with a daughter. But it ruins this girl's life mm. because it's changed her attitude and she talks better. Mm. She wants to marry somebody of station. So all of her peers make fun of her and don't like her anymore. Mm. And it's the story of how she then goes on and develops and actually becomes, after the Queen dies, becomes the King's mistress. Mm. Sounds like a really interesting book, Rex. Where can people find your work? Amazon. Amazon. Okay. Yeah. Rex Sumner. Rex Sumner on Amazon. All right. You'll find it. And my, the sequel to Mistress of the King is Mistress of the Gods, which is out in January. And if any of your readers wish to, they can find me on Facebook, find my author page. Mm -hmm. You can sign up the email, sign up there. And I will be making Mistress of the King free as an ebook in the launch of Mistress of the Gods. Oh, exciting. So for all of you guys at home, all of you little humans, um, if you have a what Kindle or ebook, e-reader, uh, follow Rex's author page and you can read his first book yep. before the second one comes out. Then you'll be definitely certain to buy the second one because you'll love it so much. Amazing. Well, Rex, we'll have all your links for Bali Reptile Rescue and all of your work on the show notes. Thank you again for coming on the show. My very great pleasure. Keep looking after snakes. All right, little humans, big thanks to Rex Sumner for coming on the podcast today. And today's toast poem is actually brought to you by Rex. It's something that he wrote and is from his next book. Uh, it's from the dedication. So here we go. Once beside a sun-drenched sea, a demon gave me a fractal key. Look not through the darkened crack, lest you see the dark side looking back. little humans. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Big thanks to Bernadette Kay for coming on. I hope you enjoyed the poem. And if you're thinking about coming to Bali, check out joincampclarity.com. It's an all-inclusive seven-day retreat for women in Bali. I'm so excited. It's 
all of the knowledge and wisdom coming to you with that magic of Bali. As usual, if you're liking the podcast, please subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. And until next time, little humans, stay wild.